Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy Independence Day. It just so happens that for the first time since 2010, July 4th falls on a Sunday. So it seemed like if I didn't say something about Independence Day, it would be a missed opportunity. After all, unlike in 2010, everyone these days is telling me to hate my country. The disdain for America was at least a little milder back then, but now we are routinely told, and it is the status quo of many historians, that America is an irredeemably horrible nation. So, I'm feeling a little more patriotic than usual. Indeed, we celebrate a day like July 4th precisely because it gives us pause and an opportunity to explore again what it means to be American, why that is a good thing, or if it is a good thing. Why was our nation founded? What were our founding principles? In what way have we lived up to those principles? And in what way have we fallen short? What does our national future look like? And of course, as Christians, what does our faith have to say about all of this? Are our faith and our patriotism things that can comfortably exist side by side? Or are they in conflict, our allegiances to God surpassing those of our nation? Well, let me ask a more foundational question. Does God care about nations at all? Does God use nations, that is, gathered, named groups of people, to carry out his will? Or is God only ever concerned about our individual hearts and souls? And the nations in which we live, they're just wholly incidental. The latter seems to be the common view, not only among Christians, but certainly among everyone else as well. For example, it is said that to even defend a border, a national border, is itself racist. And of course, it's commonly said the very land we inhabit is wholly illegitimate. A recent president rather famously said that he was a citizen of the world. And much of the political division we see between us today is between those who think that national distinctives are a good thing and ought to be honored and defended versus those who think such a national identity is really gauche, a bad idea. And if God doesn't care about nations, and if the current crop of globalists are correct, then we shouldn't care about our nation either. It's just a relic of history, after all. We should join the Klaus Schwab's of the world to build it back better on the eight principles of the Great Reset, three of which include the abolition of private property, rarely eating meat, and paying a fine for emitting too much carbon dioxide. But if God does care about nations, it's a big if, well, then we can be justified, at least in principle, in believing that God can use particular nations for the provision of his people, for a refuge against tyrants, 
And as perhaps Ronald Reagan said to make famous a quote, to be a shining city on a hill. In fact, I read a, a long article about the popularity of that phrase, where it came from. It's, it's kind of a quotation from Matthew 5, but it turns out that this was a long-forgotten quote and a long-forgotten sermon until the 1950s when a Harvard professor by the name of Perry Miller, who has really worked his, his entire life to try to find the, the origins of America, who are we, etc. Well, he found this sermon given by John Winthrop, who was probably a lay preacher, and perhaps either gave this sermon or handed out this essay to be read on the Puritan vessel, the Arabella. And in 1630 was this sermon or essay read where this city, this line, a shining city on a hill, is used. Now that sermon was not about prosperity, right? Like th there'd be this amazing place and everyone would look at. That, that isn't what he would be going for. But rather, John Winthrop was speaking about communal cohesion, being oneness of spirit and purpose that would be an example for all to follow. And you can bet that John Winthrop would have rooted this communal spirit and his optimism for being a city on a hill on the law of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is Jesus who says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It was not uncommon for those who arrived in America and then those who penned the essays and the founding documents of our nation to believe that they were establishing and what they were establishing would be good for God's people and God's purposes. In fact, it would be strange if they did not believe that. They would have been biblically justified as well, I believe, in believing that God does care about nations. That's to answer the question, does God use nations? That God does care about nations, even as we should be careful not to assume too much about God's mercy. Sometimes people say, well, America is God's anointed land. He'll never bring any destruction to it. Well, what did he do to Israel, right? Just as God chose and formed Israel, he also judged Israel when they fell into idolatry. If America is a shining city set on a hill as a providential act of God, well, that same God can judge us every bit as harshly as he did Israel. The 12 tribes were given spiritual leadership, a divine king, a legal bulwark, and a physical space to be a nation. And yet they fell into idolatry, even given all that God did. And yet God used the nation of Israel to produce the Savior of the world. In our reading from 2 Samuel today, it really is a remarkable story. It's almost impossible to get that, just taken from right in the middle of this whole story. But what's happening is that David is being anointed as the king. And even though Samuel had actually anointed him 15 years before, he is now to the point Saul has died and other, other disagreements have sort of been worked out. And all 12 of the tribes now agree. David's our man. David is our king. And it wasn't just a handful of folks that got together to anoint David. This was really important. Chronicles tells us that 340,000 people 
were present when David was anointed king for the, all the 12 tribes. So again, does God care about nations? I'm trying to make the case that he does. Right? And David reigned uh, rather successfully for 40 years. And while his reign is seen as the apex of the history of Israel, and the Messiah is the one who would restore the Davidic kingdom and so on, we know that his being the great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather of Jesus is his most significant achievement. In spite of the flaws of Israel, God uses the nation of Israel. He establishes it, he uses it. And therefore, distinct peoples can do great things if they act as a city on a hill, if they obey the law of God, and if they desire to be an example for everyone else. Yes, nations can be very powerful tools in demonstrating that God's ways are the best ways, that God's laws can lead to prosperity, and that God's gospel is the only path to peace and harmony. Yes, a truly Christian nation would be and can be a city on a hill, for there will be and can be no bliss and no peace like a nation that actually dared to be obedient to God. God explicitly tells Israel that they will be blessed by their obedience to God and cursed by their idolatry. And I don't think that what he is saying is that, well, if you're obedient for a number of years, then I'll give you a blessing. You know, or if you're disobedient for a number of years, then I'll send you a curse. I think he's saying inherent in the obedience are the blessings. You'll be blessed as you're obedient, and you'll be cursed as you're disobedient. They happen side by side because God's ways are good and anything else is evil. I mean, you just tell me if we are better off or worse off if we ignore God's word on anger and adultery and violence and murder and jealousy and covetousness and blasphemy. There is so much that is prevalent in the American society today that I do believe Christians are commanded to reject entirely. So whatever I'm saying about America, it's not a carte blanche uh, uh, approval of everything that goes on in our country, of course. I believe we should reject profane and hateful music, obsessions with race and gender, abortion, a general ignorance of God's laws. And maybe it's even time to start to question the wisdom of public schools and standing armies. And yet, I still think it is possible to be both an American and a Christian, and that America is clearly and obviously a nation founded on and sustained by certain Christian principles, principles like human dignity, private property, protection of the innocent, and penalties for the guilty, among others. America is not and will never be exempt from God's judgment. But if the modest claim that God can use nations for his purposes is correct, then there is no reason he cannot use our own nation. And so on July 4th, 
What we should be doing as a nation is considering where and how we align with God's call on our life. And where we have faltered, our nation will be blessed to the extent that we are obedient to God, and the world will be blessed to the extent that our nation is obedient to God. And while it is true that my Christian convictions are distinct from my national commitments, I refuse to hate or be ashamed of my country. Christianity does not ask that of me. So might we continue to do as Jesus commanded his disciples, to go out and proclaim God's power over all evil forces, wherever they may be found, whether they are in our hearts or our communities or our nation. Our nation will certainly be better off for it. Amen.